Welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 86, De Coronado and the Search for the Cities of Gold, part one. Today we will stay in the general Mesoamerica area to cover another Spanish foray into unconquered territory, this time one to the north of the Viceroyalty and out of what we today consider to be Latin America. In this episode, we follow De Coronado on his journey into the southwest of the United States. According to the Treaty of Tordesillas, all of North America fell within the Spanish part of the world. In theory, they had exclusive rights to govern it, to the exclusion of everyone else. It will be a while until the British show up on the distant east coast. The idea that the USA would be an English-speaking country now so ingrained in our understandings with hindsight, would probably not have crossed the minds of people at the time. It's no wonder, then, that attempts were made to colonise it by the Spanish. This is one such attempt. We've already covered another previous effort, the Narvaez expedition to Florida. If you haven't listened to that episode and want some background, go listen to it now before finishing this one. It's a dramatic story, and it also involves one of the characters we will reunite with today. That attempt at conquest ended in failure, and an epic journey around the Louisiana Gulf, through the deserts of northern Mexico, and back to Mexico City. At the end of the series on the conquest of Mexico, we talked about the Spanish push to the north of Tenochtitlan. They incorporated the Perepecha state into the empire but this formed the frontier. North of here, the land became arid, difficult and unproductive. The Aztec never made it very far in that direction either. While the valley of Mexico and the land surrounding it were full of complex settled civilizations who lived in cities, the north was lumped together as Chichimeca, the land of the Chichimec tribes. While well, the Aztec actually formed one of these groups themselves originally, before migrating southwards and changing their way of life, to them and to the Spanish, the Chichimec lands were beyond the pale. There were, of course, lots of different groups, not just the Chichimec, but as a general rule, the people of the north lived in small nomadic bands rather than cities, and they were known to be fierce raiders. This presented a problem to the Spanish for a few reasons. Firstly, it meant that they might face armed resistance. Secondly, it meant that they might struggle to establish their socio-economic system if they overcame the Chichimec. Although a large organised empire might be harder to overcome, they needed large groups of indigenous people who were used to taking orders from a centralised government so that they could create their encomienda system and earn a profit for those Spaniards who were given land. This is why they all wanted a slice of Peru and central Mexico, and it's why they struggled in places like the Yucatan and the Rio de la Plata. The third issue was that even if the Chichimeca were conquered and agreed to engage in encomienda labor, the deserts of northern Mexico and the southwest of the USA were simply not very productive, and a Spaniard with land there would never grow as rich as one of his peers 
who owned more fertile land elsewhere. This explains the slow progress which the Spanish made in that direction. However, it doesn't mean that there weren't people who wanted to give it a go. If you were a lower-level Spaniard, hoping to participate in conquest, and turn yourself into an encomienda holder, your options might be limited. If you had missed the boat in Peru and Central Mexico, any land might be better than the possibilities open to you back in Iberia. What's more, nobody really knew how far those deserts stretched, and what was beyond them. They knew from the Narvaez expedition that there was greener land to the north in Florida and Louisiana. And he also believed that there was wealth to be gained from non-agricultural sources. Just as myths of El Dorado were circulating in South America, here too there were rumours of a city built from the abundant precious metals which lay on the ground like rocks. One of these, which lay beyond the land of the Chichimec, was believed to be called Cibola. The historian Richard Flint has written an article which examines the De Coronado story and disputes some of the commonly held truths about it. Having examined the original documents, he argues that there is no evidence that professional miners and engineers were taken on the journey. He also says that they missed several sources of silver simply because they weren't looking for it. This might be true, and it might shed some light on Coronado's motives as leader, but I suspect the rumours of precious metals would have inspired some of the ordinary Spaniards who came with him. Coronado was one of those Spanish nobles who experienced career advancement due to the family he was born into. He was from Salamanca, that same town which the Montejos came from, who we covered in the last few episodes on the Yucatan. He made his way over to the Americas, and he was given the governorship of New Galicia. This was a subunit of the great New Spain, Cortes's viceroyalty in Mexico and Central America. New Galicia formed its northern frontier. It covered parts of what are today the Mexican states of Aguas Calientes, Guanajuato, Colima, Jalisco, Nayarit, and Zacatecas. This gives you an idea of how much of northern Mexico was outside of Spanish control. They had no presence in Mexico's northern states at all. Ironically, if they were actually looking for precious metals, Guanajuato and Zacatecas will become big silver mining centres, so they actually had access to the stuff right where they were. The authorities of New Spain had shown some interest in moving their frontier northwards. They had tried to enlist Cabeza de Vaca, one of the survivors of the Narvaez expedition, and who you might remember from his subsequent time in Paraguay. They thought that with his first-hand knowledge of the lands up there, and his clear resourcefulness, having survived the Narvaez debacle, he would be a good candidate for the job. He refused outright, however. Then they asked the newly appointed de Coronado to have a go. He in turn enlisted a priest named Marcos de Nizza, and he was joined by Estevanico. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I introduced Estevanico properly in the episode on the Narvaez expedition. He was the slave from either Morocco or sub-Saharan North Africa, who had shown a remarkable ability to communicate with the indigenous people they encountered, and to whom the survivors probably owed their lives. He was quick to learn the native languages, as well as to understand their cultures. He turned himself into a sort of shaman, and he helped them pass through indigenous settlements unharmed. He apparently dressed himself up in feathers and bells, and carried a gourd shaker as part of this role. All in all, he is a fascinating character. Coronado will end up being distracted by a rebellion against Spanish rule, so it was Denitza and Estevanico who really led this first expedition. Denitza made the decisions, but Estevanico acted as the advanced scout, and they would go where he recommended. The bulk of the party was made up of indigenous allies. They made their way up Mexico's west coast, with Denitza being instructed to leave symbols as they went. These took the form of crosses, either freestanding or carved into trees, and they came with messages to provide information about where to go. The idea was that these would both serve as evidence that the Spanish had claimed the area, and they would help guide Spanish ships which might pass through the area and make landfall. Estevanico was once again extremely successful at winning the indigenous peoples over and ensuring a friendly welcome rather than a hostile one. He was sent ahead with a small number of indigenous explorers, and not much later he sent a message back to Denitza. The myth of Sibola was already in existence, but it was Estevanico's message which consolidated it. He said that the people of the settlement he was currently in had confirmed its existence, and told him that it consisted of seven separate settlements, all rich in precious metal, and somewhere to the north. Denitza hurried to catch up with Estevanico, but whenever he reached a settlement, he found that Estevanico had hurried onwards. Soon they crossed the as-yet non-existent border with the USA and into the Arizona-New Mexico region. While he was frustrated that he was unable to catch up with Estevanico, Denitza was encouraged by the signs. Everywhere he went, Estevanico had smoothed things over, so he continued to be welcomed. He also found that these people existed in larger numbers than might have been expected. They suggested that the land was good enough to support a decent population, 
and they seemed to have a level of technology and social organisation which encouraged him. They imagined the people at Cibola to be like the Aztec or the Inca, and this is what they were hoping for. The people they encountered seemed to suggest that this might be the case. And what's more, they all confirmed the existence of the seven cities of gold. Everything had gone well so far, but they were about to receive their first piece of bad news. As they sat in their camp one evening, one of the indigenous members of Estevan Ico's party suddenly appeared. He was fleeing as fast as he could, and when he came across them, he told them that Estevan Ico had found Sibylla, but that its population had massacred them. Estevan Ico had been killed, and the Sibylans were planning to attack them as well. This news scared the rest of Danitza's party, and they refused to go any further. Danitza himself went up onto a hill above the city to get an idea of what was going on. He left a cross to stake the Spanish claim to it, but knowing that he would have no chance of conquering the city, he decided that he had no choice but to return to New Galicia. He considered his expedition a success though, having confirmed Sibylla's existence, and laid the groundwork for a larger force to come and take it. Now I have told Danitza's story as he himself tells it. We only have his account to go on. In truth, however, there is some mystery surrounding what actually happened. Sibylla is thought to be the ruins of Hawiku, a large town built by the Zuni people in New Mexico. Some people doubt that Danitza could have made it that far north and come back in the time in which he was away from New Galicia. In short, there is a school of thought which says that he made the whole thing up. In the 1920s, a landowner near where Phoenix is today claimed to have found a message carved into a rock by Danitza, but it was quickly proven to be a badly done forgery. There were also claims that Estevanico was not killed by the people of Sibylla. Instead, he decided to join one or another of the indigenous peoples he met and live out the rest of his life with them. This might certainly make sense, given his comfort among them and his low status within Spanish society. In the Zuni pantheon, there is a spirit named Chacwina, who some believe is actually a representation of Estevanico. It does not really matter for our story. This is the end of Estevanico's part in it, but it seems unlikely we will ever know what became of him. Whether it was true or not, it seems that Danitza's story was largely believed back in Mexico City. Another expedition was quickly assembled, and it reached New Mexico. The only real aspect of this one which is worth mentioning is that its participants were surprised to find that the deserts up there got very cold at night, so much so that they were forced to turn back. As they reached the frontier, they bumped into De Coronado, who was on his way north. They relayed their newfound information about the difficulties of trying to reach Sibylla during the winter, but with De Coronado's new expedition already underway, it made no difference to his plans. He had decided that it would be him who would conquer Sibylla and nobody else. For him, having missed out on it, the Danitza expedition was just a scouting mission. Next episode we follow him as he launches the main conquest. If you've enjoyed this episode, and you're feeling generous, 
One thing which would really help is if you left a review wherever you get your podcast from. It helps new people discover the show. If you're feeling really, really generous, it's possible to leave a small donation. This helps cover the costs of running the show. There's information about how to do this in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who's done this already. And thanks to everyone for listening. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America and that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T If you have any comments or questions feel free to get in contact at historyoflatinamericapodcast at gmail.com You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash m-a-x-s-e-r-j-e-a-n-t photo thanks for listening save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get half gallons of delicious kroger milk for 129 each then get flavorful tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for 249 a pound all with your card and a digital coupon Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.